1: Sometimes it's really hard to shout to the Lord when things aren't going very well in your life. Sometimes it's very difficult to bow down when things aren't going very well for you in your life. And I don't know what you might be going through right now. Some of you I do as pastor, you know, you talk, you pray, you hear. But then some of you I don't know. But maybe there are some of you that are really struggling. And so when you first are hit with something, whatever it might be, you always have that quick, natural response. And then soon after that, you move into the, all right, I'm going to take it to the Lord. And then when it keeps on coming, you're back down again and it's hard to really worship the Lord. Today's message is specifically designed for those that are going through a tough time and how to really have what is known as the abundant life. Now, when I talk about the abundant life, maybe some of you are aware that Jesus promised that. In fact, out of the lips of Jesus, written in holy script for us, is simply this, that Jesus came to give us life and that we might have it more abundantly. Well, there's really two parts of that verse. The first part is is that he's come to give us life, which would be eternal life. And so I hope that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you now have eternal life, your sins forgiven, a home in heaven, and a return eternal relationship with the Lord forever. That's eternal life. But he not only came to give us fire insurance and a place in heaven later on, he's also come to give us what is known as the abundant life right here. Now, when you hear the word abundant, you might think of a crop and there's so much food you can't eat it all. Maybe some of you think abundance is if you had a, a a raise or maybe a big bonus and you have an abundance of money or something happened and you have more than what you can use. Well, that might be a way to look at abundance. Some people think the Christian life, the abundant Christian life, means a life with no problems, a life where there's no struggles, a life where there's no issues that you have to go through day after day after day. Sometimes they describe that kind of life, that abundant life, as a Disney movie or a Hallmark movie where everything seems to end on a happy note with everybody leaving and the credits are playing and you're singing a song. Well, I've lived long enough now to know that you could be a dedicated Christian. You could abide in His Word. You could live all the life that you could for the glory of God and do almost everything right as best as you can and still your life is not going to be a Disney movie or a Hallmark movie. It's going to be filled with either conflict or issues in your life. Well, then how can you then say that's an abundant life that He's promised us to have? Because sometimes our abundant life is not made up with all those external things, but it's the ability to see those external hardships and still have beating within you in your chest a heart that's full of joy and gratefulness and one that still has a desire for true intimacy with the Lord. Now I would like to let you know that this week and next week I'm going to take from the passage that we're studying three truths on what it talks about regarding the abundant life. And then with those three truths, I'm going to cover seven biblical principles. And that will conclude our study of 1 Thessalonians, the great letter that Paul wrote to this young church that we're going through troubles, we continue to go through troubles, even though the Lord's coming back, coming back soon. But until he does, we still have to live life like you and I do. And so we're going to learn those seven principles. It'll take me a couple of weeks to do that. So today, let's begin learning what two of those truths would be. Here's the first truth, and that is that God has a will for you. There is God's will for your life. That implies, first of all, that there is a God. It implies that He is sovereign, so He is going to either permit or prescribe, predict something in your life that's going to happen. So what would be God's will for our life? Well, once again, He talks about that abundant life and talks about how that He has a will for our life. Some of us, though, we struggle with that. We do know that we would like to have God's will. One would be... I want God's will. Why am I going through what I'm going through right now? Why is it given to me and not someone else? Why is this given to me and not something else? Why is this given to me now and not at another time? So I want to know, what is your will for me during this time? Some of you are struggling with a relationship right now, and you're trying to decide, do I get in the relationship? Do I get out of the relationship? What do I do with this relationship? And I now want to know, what is God's will in that relationship? Now, you can flip that over into a career. Some of you are wondering, do I stay in this career? Or maybe even on this job? Or do I transition to something else? You college-bound kids that are here, some of you are asking, do I go to this school or that school? And what is God's will? And so we kind of throw it out. Well, whatever school I like, my friends go to, and I get a scholarship to, that must be God's will for me. Is that really God's will? And we could go on and on in discovering what God's will is. But I sometimes think that before God gives us His will on a specific relationship, career, something to purchase, maybe, that he really would like us to be doing his will in the more general things in life. Sometimes I would equate it to maybe like this a clogged drain. Every morning we wake up and we hope that that drain that's in the sink there would be open and it would flow just like we would like it to. But every day it's not flowing and it's not flowing. And we begin to get discouraged and we begin to make decisions on our own. And we try to take it into our own hands and it's not getting cleared. It's possible though that we're not doing what God wants us to do on the general principles like I mentioned that I'd like to bring to you this week and next week. we might call that some kind of a spiritual drain then maybe God will give you the specific answer in the areas that you're looking for His will once we're willing to embrace and to do the general things that He's asked us to do. And that's why I'm going to spend a little bit more time talking about what is His will and the general. Well, Let's look over here, if you will, again at the verse, verses 16 through 18. And here's what you read. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, if this is your Bible, you might want to circle the words, for you. I know that some of you, as a parent, might be struggling with helping your kids understand what is God's will for their life. Some of you that are married are wondering about God's will for my mate's life. And so, while you would want them to have God's will, right now, just think in terms of what is God's will for you in your life with the people that are there. And so, what is God's will for you? And so, we're going to talk about some of those things, about God's will for our particular life. Well, there's three Out of the seven. Let's look at number one. What is God's will for me in Christ Jesus? First of all, it's to rejoice always. You know, that's a great phrase when it says rejoice always because it's really all out Christianity. It doesn't say rejoice once in a while. And it doesn't say just be joyful. It's talking about be joyful always. Would you circle the word always now? Because that all of a sudden puts a qualification on every circumstance in which we find ourselves. So I don't know if, what circumstance you're going through right now, but God says under his command, part of the abundant life and the will of God is is for us to rejoice always. So circle again that word rejoice. Now here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say laugh always. Uh, realistically, when you're hit with a scud missile of something you didn't expect, something that would maybe even be evil, something bad happened to you, something that would be anti-biblical we might say, you're not going to laugh through that. The Bible also doesn't say be happy always because happy comes from happy happenings. And a lot of stuff isn't always going to be happy. You find out with your child has some issue. Your mate has some issue. You go to the doctor and you find out that you have some issue. And some of you might be struggling on your job and why someone else was promoted and not you and why someone else kept their job and you were transitioned out or why someone was given an easier job and you're given a more difficult job. I don't understand all of that. But I do know that the Lord says that I am to rejoice always. Now, for those of you that are new on your journey with Christ, you're going to find that more difficult to do unless you know that God is in control. It's all about Him anyway. And that He gives me the strength because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, or rejoicing to be able to do that with Him. So that helps me kind of get through this when I'm struggling. So let me ask you a question right now. If I was to take your temperature on rejoicing in what you're going through now, are you rejoicing? You didn't say be happy. You didn't say to laugh about it. But inside of you, are you still rejoicing? Sometimes I think that the word joy is connected to security. I am secure in knowing that a loving God has a greater purpose for my life and it's not about me and it's all about Him. So whatever He chooses to do, it's okay because while my abundant life might not involve a lot of money and a lot of things going well for me, it will involve me rejoicing because I still have, watch this, eternal life waiting for me in heaven. For we who are Christians, this is our hell. This is the worst it gets. And for us who are in Hawaii, this is not a bad hell, is it? Because we have heaven. But for your friends and family who do not know Christ as Savior, this is the best heaven that they're ever going to get. Because when they die, it's a lot worse for them. So, the Bible says to rejoice always. Here's the second, and that would be to pray continually. Go back to the verse again, and it talks about, in everything, give thanks. That's another all-out kind of word again. It doesn't just say pray. Some people like to do that. They like to go to a prayer meeting. They pray their obligatory grace before or after a meal. They go through a crisis. They might pray at the beginning of that. But here it talks about doing it continually, praying always. Now, I know that it's hard for us to talk to the Lord and talk to another person at the same time, so it's... It is talking to Him, but it's sometimes an attitude of prayer. It's an attitude of the awareness of God in our life. It's the opportunity to realize at that very moment while we're going through whatever issue we are that God is somewhere in this and I see some kingdom activity that's happening. So it talks about that. So maybe right now you're going through a need. My first question to you is, have you prayed about it? Talking about it, talking about God involved in this thing and maybe talking about prayer doesn't make you pray. So are you really leaning on the Lord and taking it to the Lord in prayer all the time? When you think about it, when you have a negative feeling, when anxiety rears its evil head, when you fear, when you have this issue perhaps of discouragement and despair, at that very moment are you saying, Lord, I'm giving it to you, you are in control right now. This is your will for my life. And whatever I'm going through, to find out the specifics, I need to have right now an attitude of gratitude in my life, no matter what I'm going through. So ask yourself, how are you doing with thanking the Lord for what you're going through? And then number three, we need to give thanks in all circumstances. Another all-out phrase. Here we are to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, whatever we might go through. Now here's a way to look at it. When you go through something where a circumstance hits you, maybe it's a result of a wrong choice and now you've got to live with the consequences and you want to make lemonade out of that lemon. Or maybe it's something you didn't choose. Something happened to you and you've got to make a decision on that. So what we do is we see that circumstance come our way. So the first thing we do is we rejoice in the sense that God allowed this to happen so that in some measure he will get the glory and we can further kingdom work no matter what it is. So we're going to rejoice because good can come from this. Secondly, we're going to go to the Lord and we're going to say to the Lord, thank you for what you've given to us. And as we give it to the Lord and say thank you, what we're really saying is, Lord, you are in control and whatever you do is still good. So this is good. Now hear what I'm about to say. Things that will happen in your life, in my life, they may hurt us because things do hurt. Those circumstances will hurt. And sometimes it is God's will that God permits us to go through that hurt. But here's the phrase. He doesn't harm us. Harming is when there's a permanent damage forever that we cannot get out of that. And we may not be able to get out of a circumstance, but it won't harm us spiritually. Because God will not allow the external things that Satan do to harm us spiritually. Now, if we choose to go the way of the world and to buy into Satan's plan and the secular worldview and get out of our will of God, then it will harm us. But God himself, permitting this in our life, he may permit the hurt, but he will not permit the harm. Maybe an illustration might help for a moment, all right? Let's say for just a moment that my good friend, Pastor Dennis, had an infected appendix. Now, there are two people that could do surgery on Dennis. One is going to be a surgeon who is skilled in internal medicine. The second person is me. Don't laugh. We both could do it. I have a pen knife. They use a knife. If he lays down and doesn't wiggle too much, I can make sure that I can get that open. And somewhere inside of him, I'm sure there's an appendix and I hope I'll find it. Maybe it'll be red. It might be a little puffy. I don't know. It might grab his liver or something, but I think I'll grab his appendix. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Whether it's the medical doctor or me, we both will hurt Pastor Dennis. Those of you that have gone through surgery, even if you've been um, uh, anesthetized, I almost said euthanize, and that's not the right word, anesthetize. You are relieved of the pain until all that anesthesia wears off. So whether the medical doctor does it or I do the surgery on my friend, he's going to hurt. But here's the big difference. The big difference is when the doctor does it with him, the doctor is going to help his healing process. Since I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to hinder the healing process. So I'm going to harm my dear friend. As much as my motives would be right, I would still harm him. With well, a medical doctor, will help him. Now you put God on the throne, God will permit things to happen to you that will bring hurt. Whether it's financial or relational, in some measure, it will hurt. So don't deny the hurt. Don't, don't um, ignore the hurt. But at the same time, don't blame God for the harm because there is no harm in that. Because listen, the rest of the story is this. If Pastor Dennis's appendix would not be removed, he will die. And so that hurt is only getting him to a better position in his life where he will overcome that illness and become better than he was before. And so again, when God allows circumstances to come into our life, He too says to be thankful, to rejoice through all of this, and at the same time, to continually lean on Him. So when the doctor comes in to see you, Pastor Dennis, and he tells you don't run around, don't play football, don't play basketball for a while, eat the right stuff... You listen to his advice. You talk to your doctor and you'll be the best you can be. And as I continue to talk to the Lord as he guides me through this circumstance until it is over and my question is Lord, how can I get the most mileage for you through this circumstance so you'd get the most glory? What is that doing? Listen, listen. What that's doing is that circumstance now has moved beyond just another thing an accident that happened in my life to a high calling purpose of God. So that God gets all the glory. So I'm wondering, and I don't want you to go tripping on me on this, but if you go back down memory lane for however old you are, and you look at all those raw deals you've gotten in life, and how perhaps you and I have fought God on all of those things, instead of just laying down, waiting for Him to do the scalpel work on us, maybe today we're still living with the scars when we fought the surgeon, the heavenly surgeon. And so while you look back over that, don't look back over that and feel guilty and feel like you're worthless and your whole life now cannot have meaning. What you do is say, all of those events are nothing more than reminders. And I have the scars as teachable lessons because that was then and this is now. And I'm now going to walk in total dependence upon a sovereign God who is also a loving God. So whatever He does, it's out of a love that no man could ever show to me. And so how do I handle that? Very well. We handle it through, I rejoice. God trusted me with this. I handle it with a great deal of prayer because prayer is building an intimacy with the Lord. And then finally with thanksgiving, that God, Lord, I rejoice that I have this, but Lord, I'm I'm thankful you've given this to me because the trial of my faith is more precious than gold. So you might not be going through an affliction. You might be just in a situation where you have to make just a, a choice in life. Enter in a relationship or out of one? You're not afflicted. It's just a choice. But rejoice that God has given you the opportunity to make a choice based upon Scripture. We'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. But for right now, you have that. And then how you build that relationship in prayer with Him. I'd like to talk for just a moment about a couple, a friend of mine. This friend is not new to some of you older folks that have been a part of our church. He and his wife has visited our church many times. They've stayed at the Browns' home happened to be David and Arlene Hotelling. He now pastors Palm Springs Baptist Church. Now, that's not a bad place to pastor in Palm Springs. Carol and I enjoy going there. We don't play golf or anything, but it's a nice, quieter place. It's a place for us to really be away from distractions and center down on God and visit our dear friends, Arlene and David. How many of you might remember David Hotelling? Anybody here remember? we got some that are through the crowd here. Well, I'd like to tell you a story that happened David was pastoring the church, while he was pastoring there, he was also working on an earned doctorate degree from Master's Seminary. In fact, he finally earned that earned doctorate degree, and he did it as the oldest graduate in the doctoral program, 15 years older than the next oldest person. So you could see this man was passionate about learning learning God's Word and taking it back to the church, a great man. Well, he was working on one of his theses at Starbucks in Cathedral City, outside of Palm Springs, when he received a frantic phone call from his wife, His wife was still on the ground after being crushed by a truck who hit her while she was walking. She couldn't even move and all she could do is hit that one little number to get to her husband screaming in pain. He arrived before the ambulance. A few others picked her up and moved her, which they probably should not have done. She went through a most rigorous time in her life with surgeries. That happened on November 30th, 2007. Since then, she's had no less than six surgeries and she has more still ahead of her. She's had a surgery on her hip three times. She's had a surgery on both of her hands because they were crushed. Surgery on her foot. Her back and neck were so mangled but not broken that it cut off with the nerve doing damage to the rest of her body where she barely can walk with a walker. The surgery she still faces is surgery on her feet to hopefully return some of the tendons back in the right place. I've been following that saga for the last three years, working with his wife, praying for them. Some of you have been on that journey with me and with them as well. Some of you probably don't know that while this was going on and there was a limited amount of settlement, not enough to cover any of this or all of it, I should say. The church in which he pastors the facilities was broken into and the computer system and the technology was broken into and stolen not once, not twice, three times. And by then they were able to Hopefully save when the fourth time they were broken into. Four times. And this happened in less than five years. So this poor man working on his graduate degree, taking care of his wife, pastoring the church, dealing with all the fallout of lost information. When you lose all this, that would be all of your financial records, all of your sermon notes, all of the stuff that you'd have on your computers. You can imagine all of that. But never did this man and wife's faith ever waver. When I was writing to him a little less than a month ago, I received a letter from David, an email. I'd like to read this because it came to me the, the day of her last surgery. Now, last in the series, but not last that she'll ever have. And here's what he wrote. Hi, Stan. Arlene made it through surgery. It was much more difficult than we hoped for. Though surgery was to be three hours, it ended up taking from 9.30 in the morning to 2.15 in the afternoon. She finally made it to her room by 5 p.m. The hip was so worn out that they needed to add bone. So they took part of her femur and shaped it to to become a backing for the parts so that it all fit correctly. Pray that the bones grow together. They screwed it in with four screws. Arlene is having a difficult day today, so we appreciate your prayers. She will be on non-weight bearing for the next two to three months. And then we have to start moving to work on her feet. We want to be able to come to Hawaii this year, but it doesn't look like it's going to work. Thanks again for your friendship and prayers. Now, here's someone who's experiencing the biblical abundant life. His wife will never be the same. Never, ever be the same. I know, apart from a miracle. But really, she'll never be the same. And yet, through all of that, he didn't deny the faith. He didn't walk away from the church He kept right along because that abundant life is the life of Christ himself in him through the Holy Spirit. And he's chosen now to yield to Christ and the Spirit to have that flow out. Well, I want to show you a picture of her now. This is uh, another shot that you might see her. She's a very beautiful lady when the accident occurred. And I talked to him last night asking him to send some pictures because uh, he's on his way to a conference. They have two nurses coming in twice a day. As well as a neighbor to give her shots. And so she's well taken care of. And she, he'll be at a special conference in, uh, at uh, uh, Grace Church up there with John MacArthur. And so Arlene wrote me this morning. As I woke up early, there was already an email from her. And she wrote this to me. But I'd like to say that she wrote it to you. May I read this to you? And here's Arlene's own words. I hadn't planned on going to the hospital for a month starting on November 30th, 07. I had cookies cooling at home for a Christmas brunch at our house. But since my plans were changed and I was all of a sudden surrounded by people who mostly didn't know Christ, catch that, God gave me a new plan and purpose, peace and hope for each day. I wasn't a real victim. He gave me purpose. My job was to make sure that I encouraged each person who entered my room each day. My job was to reflect Christ With so much work to do, I saw lots of people. I never even got the invitation sent out to my pity party. Did it hurt? Am I permanently injured? Oh, yes. But God has been faithful to me. Well, I look forward to the day that David and Arlene will be able to come so they could share their own testimony of the faithfulness of God to folks just like you and me. And so I'd like for us to perhaps for a moment just lean on what others are going through because that's their abundant life and they're certainly to be the first ones to say don't use me as a model. You have your abundant life scars as well but your abundant life could be filled with rejoicing always praying without ceasing and thanking God in all circumstances. But there's also another point, because we talked about the will of God. That is the will of God. Now the rest of the stuff is important about, should I buy this car, go to this school, marry that person? That's all important, but it's the day-to-day things of life that's the abundant life. But now I want to move to one other point, and that would be God's word to you and me. You see, God's will is really made up in God's word. If I really want to do God's will, it's not whether I buy a brown car, or a beige car, or a white car... It's going to be, should I buy a car at all? Am I going to do it to bring glory to the Lord? Will I use my money wisely? Have I given to Him first? So there's a lot of other principles behind just what car do I buy. But there's also another part of what is God's word for me. And we're going to learn that right now. So let's look at it, if you will, with me for just a moment.